All right, we'll open up your iPhones to 2 Timothy 4.6 today. And uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Steve Timmis asked me to speak on finishing well, which is interesting because uh, I feel pretty unqualified to preach on this, mainly because I have not finished well yet. Um, but I'm at a place in my life where I desperately want to. Um, as a matter of fact, next year will be my 25th year in ministry. <clears throat> and really, more than anything else in my life, or let me say this, maybe more than anything else in my ministry, that is my desire. I want to finish well. And I would venture to guess that that would be the goal of everyone in this room. And so let's look at this text together <clears throat> briefly and, and see if God can all move us, myself included, towards this goal, this end that we have to finish well together. So 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is at the end of his ministry, He knows that his days are numbered and he knows that the time he has left to serve the Lord here on this earth is coming to a close. And I want you to watch what he says there because in this, in this one sentence, he sort of sums up what he considers, I think, to be the pinnacle of success in ministry. He's sort of saying, this is it. This is the, this is the goal. This is the, this is the end. This is the success that I'm going for. And then in 2 Timothy 4 7, he says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've kept the faith. Now guys, I want you to, I want you to notice that in this statement where he's sort of articulating the pinnacle of his ministry's success, he doesn't talk about all the things that he accomplished for the Lord. He doesn't say, my, my time of my departure is drawing near, and I have planted dozens of churches. And I've written all the seminal works of the New Testament church, and I've preached the gospel to thousands. He says, the time of my departure is drawing near. I am coming to the end, and here's what I want you to know, is that I have finished the race, and I've kept faith. I love that. You would have come up to Paul at the end of his ministry, end of his life and his ministry, and ask him, Paul, in what ways do you consider yourself to be a success in ministry? That's how he would have answered. I kept the faith. I finished the race. And, you know, as I said earlier, the longer I do ministry and the longer I've been in this thing, I just want you guys to know that that's what I want more than anything else. And there was something that happened to me a couple of years ago that sort of solidified this, that that's sort of the goal. That's the thing I want more than any, anything else. It was after the death of a longtime pastor named John Bassanio. And if you don't know who John Bassanio is, he's the pastor of Houston's First Baptist Church in the 70s and 80s. This man was really famous at the time. He was an anointed preacher of God's Word. He grew his church to thousands and thousands of people there in Houston, Texas, um, he, he wrote several books. He preached at all the conferences that you could preach to in the day. This guy sort of reached the, the pinnacle of success that you, you know, success that you can as a pastor, so to speak, in, in, in earthly terms. And after his death a couple of years ago, I was sitting around talking to some college students at my church. 
And I, I was talking about ministry, and I, and I mentioned his name, and they all kind of looked at me funny. And I, and I stopped, and I, I asked him, I was like, have any of you ever heard of Pastor John Bassanio? And there was not a single one of these college students that had heard the name John Bassanio. This man that had been incredibly famous in the 70s and 80s. And so then I thought to myself, okay, maybe they hadn't heard of the pastor of First Baptist Houston. Well, maybe they've heard of the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, whose name was W.A. Criswell. And W.A. Criswell was like the Matt Chandler of the 70s and the 80s. Everybody knew the guy. Everybody listened to his sermons. He was, he was one of the, kind of the first mega church pastors. He was as close, besides maybe Billy Graham, to a celebrity preacher we had in the United States. Everybody knew W.A. Criswell. And so I asked those college kids, hey, have you ever heard about W.A. Criswell? And there was not a single one of those college students that had ever heard of him either. And I laid in bed that night, and I sort of had, a, had an epiphany. <clears throat> so here's two guys that, had reached the pinnacle of success in, earthly, in, in ministry here on earth that all of us deep down inside, whether we want to admit it or not, would say, yeah, we'd kind of like to have that. They both achieved it. They both grew their churches. They preached at all the conferences. They wrote all the books. And just a couple of decades later, nobody knows their name from the younger generation. Nobody ever heard of them. It just hit me like a ton of bricks that if a couple of decades after these incredibly famous, successful men, after they reached the heights of ministry success, if a bunch of college kids had never even known their name, then for crying out loud, ain't nobody going to know my name. And ain't nobody going to know yours either. I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be like 2045, 2045. And some old pastor's going to be sitting around with a bunch of college kids. And he's like, you guys ever heard of Matt Chandler? And they're going to look at him like, who's that? And that moment, I sort of had this moment where I came to terms with that. And, and when I did that night, I just fell into a really deep, peaceful sleep. And here's the conclusion that I came to is that more than anything in the world, I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus. I want to finish the race. I want to keep the faith, and I want to go to the house and be done with it. That's all I want more than anything else. Paul's on to something here. When he's at the end of his life, and he's tying a bow on his earthly ministry, and he says, I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. That ought to be the goal of every man and woman in this room. And so I want to spend the rest of my time with you today talking about how we might be able to accomplish that great goal of ministry to keep the faith, to finish the race. But before we sort of get into some practicals about how we might be able to do this, I want to talk briefly about what I believe is one of the greatest obstacles that you and I face finishing the race and keeping the faith, and his name is Satan. I know we're Acts 29, I know we're Reformed, and we don't talk about him much, but he's out there, he's real. He's a very real enemy. And what I'm sort of figuring out in life, and looking around and noticing that one of the, one of the most favorite things that Satan loves to do is to keep pastors from finishing the race and keeping the faith. Because you see, it does a certain amount of damage of just, so, just a normal 
guy, a normal Christian, if he doesn't finish the race and keep the faith, it, it, it does a certain amount of damage to the kingdom of God. But if, if Satan can keep a pastor from finishing well, then, then, the, then the damage is, is, is infinitely multiplied. And so here are the implications of that, of Satan realizing that a pastor not finishing well has a, has a much greater or, or deeper significant damage to the church and the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. If you're just, like I say, if you're just a normal Christian, a normal guy, and all you're doing is just living your life to make more money and retire on the beach at 63 years old, you're not a threat to Satan, so he probably doesn't even know your name. But if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a leader in God's church and you come into a city that he has a stronghold in and you put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to come into this city and we're going to preach the name of Jesus Christ and we're going to lift him high so that he can draw men into himself and we're going to glorify God and we're going to call people in this city to live on mission. I, I'm convinced. Here's what Satan does. Satan sort of looks around at his demon buddies and, and goes, what's that guy's name? What's his wife's name? What are his kids' names? Make no mistake that when you signed up to get to the get on the front lines of this battle, he knows who you are, and I promise you, he's gonna actively, actively try to keep you from that goal of finishing the race and keeping the faith. And so I think that begs the question: like, what tactics are Satan gonna use to try to keep us? As leaders in the church from, from actually doing that, from keeping the faith and finishing the race. So, <clears throat> the tactics that Satan used, we could talk about a lot of things. We could look at all the men that have fallen and not finished the race. We could talk about power and how men fell because of their hunger and thirst for power. We could talk about love of money and how men have been taken out because of, <clears throat> excuse me, some financial impropriety. We could talk about women. <clears throat> And how men have fallen because of sexual sin. We could talk about alcohol and drugs and, and how men have been taken out by uh, uh, addiction and, and just numbing the pain of ministry. And we could talk about all those things, but hear this. If we did, we'd simply be talking about the symptoms of a deeper problem. And what I mean by that is that if you trace the lust for power down to its root, if you trace the lust for women down to its root, if you trace the love of money down to its root, if you trace an addiction and all that stuff down to, to the source, what you'll realize is that the men that fell to that stuff, they did not fall because um, they had a power or a lust or a money problem. Satan took them out because they had a heart problem. <clears throat> and so don't miss this. The primary way, listen, don't miss this. If you don't hear anything I say, I'd love for you to just hear this. The primary way that Satan is going to try to take us out is not going to be through power, women, or money, or addiction. The primary way that Satan is going to try to take us out is try to turn your heart away from the person of Jesus Christ. That's how he's going to do it. Because Satan knows that if he can get a pastor's heart to sort of grow cold or numb to the person of Jesus, it's just a matter of time before power and lust and money and addiction takes you out. So that's how he's going to attack you. And I want to read an interesting verse to you. It's Matthew thirteen fifteen, And Jesus is sort of, he's speaking to God's people. He's speaking to the Israelites. And he's, he's talking about sort of how this can happen, about how 
God's people can begin to sort of grow numb to the presence and the power of God in their lives. Let me read this to you, Matthew 13, 15. Jesus said, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Again, Jesus is speaking about sort of these the people of God and how they're experiencing the power and presence of God in their lives. And he says three things. The first thing he said is that their hearts had grown dull. Another word for dull is numb. I think he's saying that there was once a time where they maybe they felt God, they, they, they encountered God, they had a, a, experienced him in a real tangible way, but now they've sort of grown numb to that. Their hearts had grown dull to the presence of God. The other thing he says is that their ears can barely hear. And I think it's interesting to me that he says they can barely hear. And so in other words, they were, they were still sort of hearing from the Lord, but his voice had grown distant. And then the last one, Jesus says their eyes have closed. That's interesting too. He didn't say they're mostly closed. He said they're closed. In other words, th- this was a people that had completely stopped seeking God. They'd stopped looking for the Lord. And here's the thing. Listen, here's a group of people that would have claimed the name of the Lord with their mouths. They were maybe even turning from sin in their lives. They were living on mission for God, but their hearts had stopped feeling him. Their ears stopped hearing him and their eyes stopped looking for him. And we know from Revelation 2 how easy it is to do that. I'm not going to exposit that text. You could get up right now and you could do it, but you know the story. Jesus is speaking to church in Ephesus. He says, here's what you're doing well. He says, you are lifting up and you are fighting for sound doctrine. You care about theology. You're a church that's enduring for my name's sake. You are, you are carrying the weight of the name of Jesus Christ. He says that you have not bent so far to the culture that you've stopped being salt and light in the culture. Jesus says there are so many things that you're doing well, but there's that one thing you lack. Is that your heart is far from me. The whole point of Revelation 2, guys, is that it's entirely possible for you to be killing it in ministry and at the very same time, your heart be numb to the person of Jesus Christ. It's entirely possible for you to be crushing it from all external ways in your ministry and at the very same time, your heart be distant and numb to the person of Jesus Christ. And I bet the farm... There, there's some of us in this room right now that we came here this week. We limped in here this week. And if we were dead honest, we could raise our hands and say the same thing. Like, hey, Matt, I am fighting sin in my life. I am trying to faithfully pastor and lead my church. I, I am doing everything I can to live on mission for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. But if I'm totally honest, I came here this week and my heart is barely feeling And my ears are barely hearing. And my eyes have all but stopped seeing the Lord. If that's where you are this morning, if that's where you are this morning, I want you to know a couple things. 
Number one, if that's where you're at, if you're honest, and that's where I'm at right now. Number one, I want you to know that you're not alone. As a matter of fact, I think one of the easiest places in the entire world to get a dull heart and deaf ears and dim eyes for God is in full-time vocational ministry. Um, when Jesus, thank you, when Jesus captured my heart back in uh, 1993, I went through a season where, hands down, the person of Jesus and my relationship with him was the single most important thing in my life. I called that time when I first sort of came to the Lord, my first love phase. I couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday morning as a college kid and worship him. I spent hours in the word of God. I carried on this kind of running conversation with Jesus throughout the day. When temptation to sin came in my, into my life, I turned from it. Not because that's what I was supposed to do, but because it was, I had such an intimacy with Jesus that it was, um, it was easy to do. Because I was so in love with him. And, 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 and everything, listen, everything I did for Jesus back in college when I first came to him, I did out of an overflow of my love for Jesus Christ. But then somewhere along the way, I became a pastor. And, and, I, and I've gone through, uh, 25 years I've been doing this, I go through seasons where going to church becomes a, my job that I do on Sunday morning. And reading my Bible is what I'm supposed to do because that, that, that sermon is coming with alarming regularity every Sunday. And, and, I'm, and, I, and I share my faith because I, I want to be a good example to my flock. And, and I turn from sin because I'm a pastor and that's what pastors are supposed to do. And at the very same time, none of that was happening because of this deep, intimate walk with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> What's interesting is during those seasons, you could look at my life just from outside and you could go, man, that's a guy that loves the Lord. That's a guy that's serving the Lord. But, but the cold, hard reality is that my heart had drifted from my first love. And at the end of the day, there are very few things in this whole world that will deafen your ears and dull your heart and dim your eyes to the person of Jesus more than full-time vocational ministry. And so I want you to know that if that's where you're at, okay, number one, I want you to know that you're most certainly not alone. But the other thing I want you to know if that's where you're at today is you simply cannot stay there. You cannot stay there. If, you, if you're here today and you're like, Matt, that is where I am, you cannot stay there. Why? Because you're exactly where Satan wants you to be. You're exactly where he wants you to be. And, and again, I think there's probably only one thing that Satan loves more than a Christian with dull heart and, and deaf ears and dim eyes. And I think he loves more than that. I think he loves a pastor of God's people that has a dull heart and deaf ears and dim eyes. So if that's where you are today... You can't stay there because that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. He's going to come after you. But the other thing you can't stay there for is because ministry is just too hard. It's simply too hard. If you stay in ministry, if you stay in ministry long enough with a dull heart for Jesus Christ, if you stay in ministry long enough with deaf ears and dim eyes, it's just a matter of time until just the everyday work of ministry will absolutely suck the spiritual life out of you. And all that will be left of you is just this former shell of yourself that's bitter and angry and resentful to God and his people. And when that happens, it's just a matter of time before he takes you out. How do I know that? Because I've been there. 
I've been there. As a matter of fact, I'm just coming out of a really long season where, if I'm honest with you, that's exactly where I was. I'm I'm coming out of a really long season where, in many ways, I was effective in my ministry. Effective. I was still turning from sin in my life. I was still pastoring. I was still living on a mission for him. But at the very same time, my heart had absolutely 100% grown dull to the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to start by landing the plane today. I'm going to get a drink of water before I do this. I want to start by landing the plane today by kind of telling you that story. And share how the Lord got me out of it about a year ago. Um. I have found, if you're there today, so far in my walk with Christ and my ministry of 25 years, so far I've found that there's three things that the Lord uses to sort of keep me in this thing. There's been three things that God has used in my life for me to keep the faith and continue in the race that I have not finished yet. And I want to give you the first one if you're taking notes. Here's the first thing God has used. Is that I... I found that I need to remind myself often of the beginning of my calling. It's one of the first things you can do if you're in that place to sort of awaken your heart back to Jesus is you need to remind yourself often of the beginning of your calling. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, I started walking to the Lord in college, and I started sensing a call to ministry in my life back in college, but I fought it like crazy. Anybody else was there when they got the call? It's like you got, had this sense that God was calling you, but I didn't want to do it. And the main reason I didn't want to do it was because of money. I grew up very, very, very kind of lower middle class. <clears throat> I got told no a lot when I would ask my parents for things. I remember one time I was, I was buddies with this really rich guy, and, um, and he was going to space camp in Alabama. Any American people remember space camp back in the day? And he invited me to go to space camp, and I, I had seen the movie, and I'm like, I'm going. This is amazing. And so I came to my father and told him about it, and my dad looked it up, and it was like $3,000. And this was back in 1986, which was an incredible amount of money. And I'll never forget my dad looking at me and saying, that, Matt, there's no way, buddy. I'm so sorry. And then me having to kind of come back and tell my friend that I can't go and making up some reason that I didn't, cause I didn't want to tell him we didn't have enough money. And so I made the decision. I'm going to college. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to make money. And so when the Lord started calling me into the ministry and it was this clear call, I, I just fought it and I fought it and I fought it and I fought it. And I said, no, God, I don't want to do this. And, and there was, um, there was the summer after my sophomore year in college. I was working for a construction, construction company in Texarkana, Texas. And I was driving back on the interstate there to Dallas to see my, my uh, girlfriend, which is now my wife. And, and I was in the car and I was driving all by myself and I was just praying and I'm just wrestling with God saying, God, I don't want to do this. I feel this, but God, is there anything else I can do? If you had made me make a list of the top thousand things I wanted to do after college, pastor wouldn't have made the top thousand. I didn't want to do it. And I'm wrestling with God. And finally I got tired of praying and time of wrestling, so I thought, I'm going to turn the radio on. Now, this is back before Sirius Satellite Radio, man. You're out in the middle of East Texas, and you push the button, and maybe there's a radio station, and maybe there's not. Maybe it's just fuzz. Maybe there's nothing, but I kid you not, as I stand here before you today, as God is my witness, I'm driving. I quit praying. I hit the button, and a, and a radio station was on, and it was a Christian radio station, crystal clear, and the song that was playing was from a guy named Al Denson, and the song was called, Will You Be the One to Answer to the Call? 
Now, either that, I'm in ministry because of the greatest coincidence in all of eternity. But I'm like, God, I'm tired of praying to you about answering the call. Will you be the one to answer to the call? Will you stand when those around you fall? Will you take his light into a darkened world? Will you be the one? And the end of the song, the chorus, he does a key change. He goes up an octave. He says, yes, I'll be the one. To answer to the call, yes, I'll stand when those around me fall. Yes, I'll bring your light into a darkened world. Yes, I'll be the one. And I just lost it. And I knew the Lord was speaking to me. And I pulled over on the side of the road, right there on the side of the highway in the middle of nowhere. And this is the prayer that I prayed. I surrendered. I said, God, I don't care where you want me to go. I don't care what you want me to do, but I'm yours. And right then and there, I just gave my life and whatever that looked like to the Lord. That was the beginning of my calling. And I cannot tell you how many times over the years that ministry has gotten so overwhelming that I just wanted to quit. I mean, like, seriously, I, want, I'm, I wanted to quit. I can't tell you how many times that ministry has dulled my heart and deafened my ears and darkened my eyes, and here's what I found. What I found is that when, when those days come, when those season comes, if I will just go to the side of the road, if I'll go back to the side of the road between Texarkana, Texas, and Dallas, and I remember what I felt in that moment, And I remember what I prayed in that moment. And I remember that it wasn't me that got me into this thing, but it was Jesus Christ that got me into this thing. I remember those things, and those things awaken my heart to the person of Jesus, and I keep going every single time. And so if you find yourself in that place today, one of the best things you could ever do is go back to the beginning Go back to the side of the road, wherever that side of the road was for you. Where your eyes met his for the very first time and all you knew is that money didn't matter and power didn't matter and and position and influence and big churches and none of that mattered. All you knew in that moment is I'm going to follow that man the rest of my life no matter where he sends me. You had a moment like that in your life. I, I, I guarantee we all did. Go back to that place. Go back to the beginning of your calling. Here's a second one quickly. Is I don't just, I don't just remind myself of the beginning of my calling, but I've learned to be, to be content in my current calling. I've learned to be faithful and content in my current calling. And what I've found is that one of the greatest weapons that Satan uses to dull our hearts for the person of Jesus Christ is to always be getting us to look at what's next for our ministry and never being content in what's now. In our ministry, Satan loves to get our eyes off of where God's got us and yearn for things like, you know, more salary, more platform, more influence, more significance, more impact, or, or whatever is next for us. And when we do that, what happens when we're always looking at what's next, it does, it produces this sort of lack of contentment in us. And every time I've noticed that lack of contentment starts dulling my heart for Jesus. And I, I learned this the hard way. And I'm going to share a story with you guys today that I've only told just a few people in the world. It's going to kind of be out now, but I, when, t- when Dr. Timmis asked me to preach, I decided I'm going to share this. 
But um, I, I, again, I'm coming through this sort of long season where I, I almost got out. I, I, um, again, when I was in my 20s, guys, I was so content in ministry. There was so much joy in just the simple things in ministry, loving on people, pastoring people. But then I planted the Austin stone and that thing started growing and I sort of started growing discontent and just the routine everyday, you know, amazing stuff in ministry. And I, I started caring about things like church growth and I started caring about things like writing books. I started caring about things like preaching at conferences. And here's the crazy thing is that I woke up in my thirties one day and the Lord had allowed me to do all those things that I thought I wanted. He, he gave me the opportunity to sort of grasp all those things I thought were going to be so fulfilling in ministry, but instead of me being thankful and content when those things happened, I still kept looking for what's next. I still kept looking for what's on the horizon, and it produced in me this incredible discontent, and I was absolutely miserable to the point that about two years ago, I made the decision that I was going to leave ministry. I made the decision that I was going to leave, and there was a specific event that sort of happened that a couple of events that happened, like, I'm, I'm out. I'd been discontent, heart growing numb to, to the person of Jesus. I'm like, I started looking for the first time, man, what, is there something I want to do besides the Austin Stone? And I was actually uh, hunting with a friend of mine. It's actually a billionaire in Houston a, with a B. He owns one of the largest real estate companies in Houston. And we were driving around, and he looks at me, and he said, Matt, have you ever thought about leaving the ministry? Just out of the blue, he asked me that. And I said, you know what, as a matter of fact, yes, I have. I've been thinking about it a lot. And he said, well, here's why I ask you this. There's a position in my company. It's sort of like a HR position, chaplain of our company, culture builder. He said, I would love for a guy like you to come and work for my company. And then he dropped a number on me. And he offered me $1.2 million a year. And I heard the voice of the Lord, man. I heard the voice of the Lord. I said, let me pray about it. Yep, I'm going. And that was it. I was out. Kid you not. True story. I'm going to tell you some crazy stuff. Everything before the Lord I'm saying is true today. It's crazy stuff. I'm having that conversation with him. My phone rings. Why I'm talking to him. I had a spot on my ear three days before that had been removed. The doctor was calling me to tell me it was melanoma. I looked at him. I said, bro, I got to go. I've got cancer. So I stopped the conversation, got out of the truck, drove home. A couple days later, found out that it was really early stage. They caught it early. Melanoma was a big deal if you don't catch it early. It's crazy. They caught it early, so things started calming down. <clears throat> and I started thinking about that phone call again. I started thinking about that number again. And about, a, I don't remember, it was a week or two later when things were calming down. I'm thinking about leaving again. Then one of my really good friends just dropped dead of a heart attack. Just boom, just died. I did his funeral and watched as his two teenage daughters just looked at me like, how in the world is your God good when he just took my dad? And that was a gut punch. But things calmed down, and I started thinking about that job again. And then something really crazy happened, and I'm not going to be able to share the details of the story, and it'll make sense to you why, but I got a call one morning. My phone was just ringing off the hook. I got a call. It was the FBI it's a really crazy story. If you ever go to dinner, I'll tell it to you. But long story short, the FBI had found um, a plot by a young men in my church to kill me. And it was a significant enough thing that the FBI got involved. 
and they thwarted it before he killed me. And I had, I'd had, over the years, I've had some death threats for some crazy people. I'd never actually had anybody try to kill me. And so for me, that was confirmation. I'm like, okay, if I'm in ministry and people are going to try to kill me, I'm done. I'm out. I'm leaving. So things start calming down. About a week later, I'm, I'm on the phone with my friend again, the billionaire guy, about ready to take the job. My phone rings again, and it's my son, J.D., who's was 17 at the time. He had been uh, at work that morning. It was really cold. He came home from work, got in my truck. Thankfully, he was in my truck. Turned the heater on. As he turned the corner, he fell asleep. The lady that was behind him told me the truck went airborne. It flipped three times into the ground and then landed into a tree. My son called me on the side of the road. He said, Dad, I've just been in a horrible accident. I said, buddy, are you okay? He said, I don't know. And he hangs up the phone. I was, I was about an hour and a half away. I, I, I got in my truck, or in my car, and I just took off driving. And I remember it was the first time in my entire life that I ever yelled at God. And I was like, God, what are you doing? It's like, if you're going to kill somebody, God, you kill me. Don't take my son. And I got there to the hospital. He's all immobilized. And I'm just weeping on him and. Long story short, he was fine. Crazy stuff. You don't flip a truck three times, smash into a tree to a dead stop and walk away without a scratch, but he did. But I was supposed to preach that Sunday. After all this stuff had happened, back to back to back, I was supposed to preach that Sunday, and I came up to Kevin Peck, our lead pastor, and I said, Kevin, I cannot preach this Sunday. I can't do it, buddy. And he said, man, don't worry about it. So we asked Ross Lester to preach pretty short notice, and we were going through the book of Jonah. I, didn't, I got up that Sunday morning. I didn't even want to go to church, but somehow I got up, and I decided to go. I sit on the front row, and I get there, and Ross is preaching on Jonah 1-3. Let me read it to you. Yeah. <laughs> but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Listen to one four. He says, but the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. I walk in the church and Ross is preaching on Jonah, who is a man who is running from God's call on his life. And the scripture was about God hurling storms at him until he got Jonah where he wanted him to be. And I sat there and thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and then Ross did something crazy. Ross was new at the stone at the time. And Ross, I don't know if he's ever done this before or since, but he stopped right then there. I'm sitting in the front row thinking, this is nuts. Ross says, I tell you what, I'm sensing the spirit and leading right here. I've never, I don't know if I've ever done this before, but he stops and he looks at the congregation. And he says, if you're here today and you're running from God's call on your life and God is sending storms at you to get you where he wants you, would you stand up? And I was sitting right there on the front row in front of my entire congregation. I stood up. And I, 
I started weeping, and I, one of my pastors was beside me, just grabbed hold of me and held on to me. And in that moment, something sort of just broke in me. I just surrendered. I knew God was speaking to me. And I said, God, I don't care where you want me to go. I don't care what you want me to do. I'm yours. I'm yours. And I said that full, you know, fully knowing that where God wanted me was right where he had me, which is that the Austin Stone Community Church. Here's what I'm telling you today, folks. Be content <laughs> on the call God's placed on your life. Wherever that is, whatever that is, important safety tip. Be content. Wherever God has you in your life, you stay faithful, you stay content until God makes it crystal clear he's calling you somewhere else. Because in that moment when I surrendered and I quit doing my Jonah-style rebellion, God awakened my heart for him. And since that day, I've experienced a peace and a joy and a happiness and a contentment in my ministry that I have in a really long time. So if you're here, I'm almost done. Hang with me. About another page of notes, we're done. So if that's where you are today, I want you to remember the beginning of your calling. I want you to be faithful and content in your current calling. And here's the last one. Keep your eyes fixed on the end of your calling. Fix your gaze on the end of your calling. I'm going to just read some verses to you. This is the end of your calling. You ever want to know what the end of your calling is going to look like? This is it. In Revelation 5, 3, it says, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. As though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. Friends, there is coming a day and it is coming soon where you will stand before almighty God with all the saints that have gone before you and all the saints that have gone after you and you will sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and to you who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Pastors, elders, church leaders, that is the end of your calling. 
Can you imagine that day for one second? I want you to do it right now. Imagine that moment. When you're standing in front of the King of kings and the Lord of lords for the first time. Can you imagine what it will be like on that day where there will be no more ministry? Can you imagine what it will be like on that day where there will be no more sin, there will be no more rebellion, there will be no more laboring for the souls of people that love the world more than they love Jesus? Can you imagine that day when there will be no more pastoral care, there will be no more church discipline, there will be no more funerals? Can you imagine on that day where there will be no more defending sound doctrine or, or no more biting sheep or backstabbing believers that all in the world that you got to do is stand in front and glory and bask in the love of the lover and the creator of your, author of your salvation and the lover of your soul? That's all. That's it. It's coming. Can I give you guys a little secret about that day? There's not going to be any dull hearts or deaf ears or dim eyes on that day. On that day when we're standing in front of him, your eyes will fully see. Your ears will fully hear. And your heart will fully be alive. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how hard it's gotten or how bad you've fallen. If you'll fix your eyes on that day, if you will live your life for that day, I promise you it'll change everything. So until that day comes, remember the beginning of your calling. Be faithful and content to your current calling. And fix your gaze on the end of your calling so that all of us won't be in Orlando, but we'll be before the throne and we can lock arms and we can look at each other and we, we can say, we finished the race. We kept the faith. Let's pray. Man, we're about to get out of here. Let's just bow our heads for just a minute. And why don't you just take a second to remember the beginning of your calling. Just go there in your mind right now. Go back to that beach where your eyes met his for the first time. Go back to the side of the road, wherever that was. And all you knew were you you were in love with this man named Jesus and you were going to follow him the rest of your life. Think about where God has you now. Maybe you just need to quit looking at the horizon, looking at what's next. Maybe today you just need to surrender. Say, God, I trust you that I'm here for a reason. Ask him for the ability to be faithful. Ask him to bring contentment. Now, finally, I want you to take a second and think about that, that day, the end of your calling, where you're going to stand before Jesus. God, what's, the, what's that going to be like? It's going to be incredible. I promise you, whatever you're going through right now, it will be worth it. 
on that day. Maybe tell him you love him. Maybe it's been a while since you just told him you love him. Tell him you're looking forward to that day. Father, I lift up every man and woman in this room. Would you do that work in us? Would you do the work of keeping us faithful so that we would be men and women that finish the race and keep the faith? Father, apart from you, we can do, no, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the spirit that you gave us. Endure us to the end. And we ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen.